0: Visit RobertHalf.com today. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job uh, is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone.
1: There's some new players in town. And they brought the flake.
0: And Antoine Fuqua, director of training day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is the next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You wanna find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+.
2: Great show today we preview three magical and traditional classic domestic matches. Yes, we've got Milan Juventus, we've got Dortmund against Bayern and their Classica, and we've got Arsenal against Liverpool, sorry, James Bench. Plus, much, much more from the rest of Europe's top leagues. We got Michael Lahood in the house, we got James Bench in the house, we got Jonathan Jonathan in the house. It is going to be us entertaining you. So sit back, relax, wherever you are, and enjoy the show. Golazo, yeah, K Golazo begins right about now. Hey, welcome along, everybody. Welcome along, boys. Sorry for the uh, quick delay getting started here. We are live on YouTube. Uh, James Benj, Jonathan Johnson, Michael Hood. Uh, how are you doing, boys? We'll start with you, James Benj. It seems like you're in a hurry. You're going to a game today.
0: I am. I'm going to Arsenal by the glimpse, but I'm I'm still recovering from uh, Chelsea against AC Milan because one, it was mm. a really fun game, but also it was an absolute nightmare getting back. Um, <laughs> the motorway, the trains weren't running, so uh, I'll be a little bit on sleepy form today. I'm afraid.
3: JJ, how are you, man? Yeah, doing very well, thanks. I see we don't have Nigel Rio Coker in here, so we may well have some coherent chat, <laughs> which will be something to, uh, to look forward to. And Arsenal playing on a, on a Thursday night, is that James Bench? Love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Thursday
2: nights and enjoying football, uh, Michael LaHood, how are you doing, man?
1: Ah, uh, man, I, I have nothing to say about Manchester United until after this match that they have today. I feel like my, uh, my mouth is has been shut for a while.
2: All right. Well, let's get into it. Before we get into it, Fabrizio Romano reporting that Jorge Giampaoli has just been appointed new Sevilla boss uh, to replace Lopetegui, who was fired yesterday. JJ, you were talking about a moment ago before we came on air. What's your overall thoughts on that before we get into the three big games?
3: Uh, surprised it took this long, to be honest. Um, obviously Lopetegui did a good job with Sevilla. I think many people were surprised that he was sort of given the start of this season, considering that last campaign didn't exactly go to plan. I think it was ultimately that qualification for the Champions League, which probably kept him in the job as long as he has. But it sounds like he might bounce back and uh, you know find a job immediately. He sounds like he's quite high up on Wolves' short list of potential uh, uh, new appointments. So let's see where he uh let's see where he lands. But also curious to see what happens with. San Paulo, because obviously he came to Marseille now he's going back to Sevilla uh you know there's a few examples of coaches going back to former places not enjoying the success they had the first time round. but Sampaoli did a decent job at Marseille but Igor Tudor is arguably doing a slightly better job than he did so yeah I'm curious to see how that one plays out especially with this Sevilla side being far from one of Monchi's vintages. Yeah, it was kind of a strange scenario yesterday, wasn't it? Watching that game, everybody kind of knew
2: he was already getting fired. The players had sort of given up in the first half, so what a weird situation. All right, let's get into it. we got three bangers to get into in the first half of our show. Let's start with AC Milan against Juventus, both teams in action in the Champions League. Milan lost in London versus Chelsea, while Juve picked up maximum points against Maccabi Haifa. Their first points, by the way, in group play. They are now four points be- behind Milan in their domestic table. Milan sitting in fifth place. Um... Pretty interesting game going into this one here. I think the confidence now from Juventus will certainly have been picked up or raised to another level after that Champions League win. But James Bench, where are you swaying in this game? How do you think it'll be decided?
0: I see, I don't agree with you that Juventus's confidence will be picked up because I kind of think, I mean, hmm. they will have expected to beat Maccabi Haifa. And if we just keep it on the Champions League for a moment, actually, I think their confidence might be on the floor because Benfica managed to draw with PSG. And in hmm. doing so, it's very early to say knocked Juventus out, but certainly dealt a pretty critical blow to Juventus's chances of staying in the uh, in the uh, top two this season. I so I thought a lot of people were very down on on Milan and the way they played uh, yeah. on Wednesday. I wasn't entirely convinced they were as bad as the general consensus was. I think the the challenge is that they really struggled in the fullback positions, and that's going to be a real challenge for them if Teo Hernandez isn't available. Um, on uh, this weekend. Certainly, you know, Juventus, if they wanted to, they could, you know, really commit some men forward to make the most out of someone like Angel Di Maria and, and and test Balotore if he's playing and test Sergio Dest, who was, I mean, it's utterly woeful. Uh, That's, you know, that's the, there is a a clear weak spot uh, in, in this Milan 11 that maybe there kind of wasn't, you know, there isn't when it's at full strength. Having said that, you know, that, that, that front two of Leão and Giroud, they work really well together. They'll be a real test for a, a Juventus defense that's kind of been okay, has some work to do to improve, but but was was all right. Um it's a tough one to call, isn't it? But I, I do think yeah. you, Milan have the quality, the assertiveness, um, and will be a team that will kind of play for the win. I worry Juventus will just just try and play it safe and and try to avoid any further damage.
1: I think this game actually comes at the perfect time for Juventus and at the wrong time for AC Milan. AC Milan has injury problems throughout this team. Their back line is decimated apart from Tamori. And when you look at their back line, Toure, not at his best, had a, a kind of a coming out party in the previous Serie A match going into this one. Serginho Dest and Kalulu, that is the big problem for this backline. Let's go back through some of the big games that Milan have played. They won a big one the Derby matchup between them and Inter, 1-3-2. But then in the game against Napoli, they came up short. Serginho Des made a massive error going up against Cavada. He gave up the PK, so I think Juventus will have circled that and eyeballed him given his performance at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea. Angel Di Maria would not be surprised if he ends up camping out on that side between Dest and Kalulu. He has the free roll, the free roam, and as he goes, this Juventus team goes, What I love that Juventus did, was it a perfect performance? No. But when your season is on a lifeline, it is on life alert. Good commercial, by the way. But when their season is on life alert, which it was against Maccabi Haifa, you need a special player to take responsibility over this team. And for Juventus, I think now that they've gotten a win, you have a more dynamic midfield. I just wonder if this is a trap game for Milan.
3: Yeah, that's an interesting point. And I think for me, I, I mean... Logically, you'd say that this is a, a match for Juve to go for, especially when you look at that AC Milan backline. line. Uh, also adding to what you guys have said about that, I feel the loss of Mike Mignon is you know, a huge blow for them, arguably one of Europe's best young goalkeepers. Well, actually, I say young. He is in his mid twenties. It just feels like he's been such a youngster. He's uh, younger than us, did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he still ca- still counts in our book. Yep. But no, I think losing him is a is is a huge blow. I've never been that convinced by Tata Rusanu, um as a as a, as a solid backup option at any of the clubs that he's been at. But not to sort of you know be in all of Milan's. Struggles on him. Uh, And I think for Juve as well, if I was confident in them actually being able to go out and really attack a match, uh, like James said, you know, you you arguably expect them to go and beat Maccabi Highford regardless of sort of how they approach the match, just given the, the the sort of disparity in quality between those two squads. But in this game, you know, I feel if Juve, with the, the, the personnel and manpower that they have, if they went out to attack that game, you know, to really put pressure and ask, you know, the, the big questions of that Milan defence, they could go and get the win. I don't have confidence in them under Allegri to go and do that. Uh I think it will still be quite conservative. They'll look to try and maybe sneak one goal and then, you know, just sit on that lead when I feel they have a really really big opportunity to redress some of the uh, you know, so, some of the the distance between them and the the top uh the top sides in Serie A. And you know, it's it just feels like it's going to keep repeating this cycle up until the World. Cup. And you then make a decision, which probably be they don't continue with Allegri as coach.
2: Yeah, just a quick question on Decatalare, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I mean, I wonder what your overall thoughts on are of this young kid. When I first saw him, first game, he actually had—I think he had an assist in his first game. He was terrific, and we, we all witnessed what he's done in the Champions League previously before moving to Milan. Big price tag, obviously. Expected him to to really find a footing there. Maybe it will take some time. But I've been rather unimpressed with his performances of late. What's What's your opinion on that one, Mike? You um, you on board yeah. with him? Are you not on board? Him? Does he need
1: time? What's your opinion? I, I think I think he needs time because I think the level he's at. I think this is actually the type of game that he's primed for. I think going to Stamford Bridge, doing it away from Milan in the San Siro, I think it was just a bit too much for him. They they didn't have their usual defensive solidarity. And and, uh, and having a player like Teo Hernandez, who James Benz was saying could potentially be fit for this game, will add to his confidence. Having an overlapping left back, this kid can use either foot, but he's heavily left-footed. And when you pick your head up and you see Rafael Leal is the only player on that left-hand side, and you don't see the overlap from Teo Hernandez, that can be a bit disruptive that you had when you came into the team early in the season, but I think it's a bit too early to, to kind of give the stamp of absolute disapproval on this kid. He has that quality. He wouldn't be at Milan if he didn't.
2: I think he's the potential of being a $100 million player or a $100 million mm. euro player. I think he has that potential. Obviously, watching him through the Champions League, coming through the system in Belgium, and then making this move, I think Milan's a perfect club for him. But there's a lot of pressure at that club now, and there's such a competitive nature now domestically in Serie A to compete for a title every single year. You've got some big names alongside you who I expect. Uh, there was a tweet coming out from Fabrizio Romano yesterday, uh, Milan director Maldini. We want to extend Leal's contract as we think it's the best club for him on his growth. Of course, we still have to negotiate and reach an agreement. He has told Amazon Prime. Uh, We also want to extend Benacer and uh, Kalulu's contract as well. So a bit of news breaking there. Um, Thoughts on that one, Bench? Obviously, they want to try and extend Leal, but good luck with that because these uh, (laughs) price tags probably through the roof at the moment.
0: Well, I mean, actually, no, to be fair, talking to people at Milan, um, they're relatively confident. It, It is somewhat complicated by... Um, the presence of or, or the money that Leao owes sporting because he kind of unilaterally left the, left his contract um, so it's a really complicated situation but I think they're of the view that Leao kind of wants to stay at Milan a little while longer I think they know that eventually someone like the Premier League um, or a, a really big you know team in in France or, or Spain may well try and snare him off them but I mean yeah I mean it's hardly breaking news is it that AC Milan wants to keep Rafael Leao he was he just looks like something of another level, and sooner or later, he is going to be a superstar. He's going to be the best player on the Portuguese national team, the best player in uh, the best player in Italy. If he's still there, I mean, this guy's amazing, and of course, Milan will want to to tie him down. But big work to do on the um, on the contract clause.
1: Yeah, when I when I think of Rafa Leal, I, why would you leave Milan when you get swag? in the form of what they were wearing yesterday, first of all, on a non-football front. Yes, The off-whites you know, you're you know. talking
0: about? Yeah, the off-whites. They, they had a, it on their bus. Enjoy. They had like an off-white
1: bus. Off-white <laughs> bus? Seriously. <laughs> so at Stanford Bridge, were, were you sitting there and you saw the,
3: the off-white bus just <laughs> roll on it? Drove
0: right past me. And, and I, I was like, mom, I wonder if there's going to be any swag for us?"
3: <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed that you had time to hang out in the car park given the uh, buffet at is. Stanford Bridge. I <laughs> <there. I skipped laughs> there. Wow. No. jj is uh, it's arguably the, it's arguably the best. JJ. This best thread I've ever experienced as a journalist. Phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, almost as tasty as that jacket right there on the Al. Uh, real ah. quickly
2: before we move on from this game, the next three games for Juventus. I just had a quick look at them. They are both. Uh, they're mm. all three away games. They're they're obviously at Milan and this one coming up away to Maccabi Haifa and the Champions League is a must-win game for them right there. Mm. And then they have uh, Torino. In uh, the Derby, which is going to be an interesting three games for juve all around. So looking forward to seeing what they did. Uh, let's check out the Klassiker in Bundesliga. We move on to Dortmund against Bayern Munich this weekend. Third place Bayern Munich against fourth place Borussia Dortmund. Believe it or not, yes, I said that correctly. Third place Bayern against fourth place Borussia Dortmund. Both teams on 15 points, two away from the top table, top of the table, Union Berlin, both won in the Champions League in midweek. They were very good. Uh, Kimi Kimmula were out obviously in the Champions League, tested positive for COVID uh, just recently. Two incredibly young coaches here, JJ going head-to-head against each other. Julian Nagelsmann, only 35 years old, and Aiden Terzic, who I'm really happy, got this Borussia Dortmund job at 39 years old. Both of them kind of trying to find their way at the top. I mean, obviously, we recognize how good Nagelsmann is here, but is he a favorite going into this game against Borussia Dortmund, minus all, a lot of their stars, obviously?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And I think both of them come into this sort of on an overinflated, you know, sense of confidence as well, given the matchups that they had in the Champions League, you know, Bayern absolutely pulverized Placien and, uh, you know, Dortmund beat a Sevilla side who, as we've already established, you know, were basically just waiting for that axe to fall on Lopetegui and for that managerial change to be made. So it is quite a strange one, given that neither of them are at the top of the the Bundesliga pile at this time, Uh, you know, and I think as well, you know, there is sort of a, a large element of like uh, misfortune to Dortmund season so far obviously losing Sebastian Haller before a ball's even kicked fingers crossed that he does ultimately make a uh, a full recovery uh, you know you've had the, the the injury to Adeyemi uh you know and you've, you you also have sort of Gio Reyna you know when he can play, he's brilliant, but he's just so so fragile, unfortunately. Uh, you know, and I think that really, uh, you know, impacts Terzic's ability to actually, you know, work out what his strongest Dortmund side is going to be. Uh, you know, and actually be able to to push on with them. So it kind of feels like it's an opportunity missed for them at this moment in time, given how slow Bayern have been at the start of this season. And I think for Nagelsmann, the issue has to be that you've now got Thomas Tuchel casting a long and very skinny shadow over uh, the Allianz mm-hmm. Arena because, you know, I don't think that those rumors are going to go away. We already saw Leverkusen links with him. Xabi Alonso has now taken that position. But, it, you know, it feels like it's only a matter of time and perhaps one or two bad results before those rumors linking Tuchel with Bayern Munich get even stronger. Yeah, I'm with you on that one now. It's a great point
2: to bring mm-hmm. up because... I'm just getting this feeling, and I know, Mike, we've talked about this a lot, even even off camera. You know, There's something not quite right at Bayern Munich, and I'm not sure if it's Julian yeah. Nagelsmann. He seems like he's uh, doing well with the executives there, which is not easy to do. To deal with the media there, he's doing a great job, but it's not easy to do. But at some point, I'm just looking at the squad, and I'm looking at mm-hmm. why something's not quite right. You wouldn't be able to tell with some of their performances. However, I will say this, it's, um, it's a big job, and you've got to be able to win. You've got to have success, and that includes also in the Champions League, which, of course, they're flying pretty high right now Uh, James Benj I want to come to you on Jude Bellingham's performance uh, yesterday in Sevilla I mean just an outstanding performance Uh, we're going to witness probably two of the best youngsters in the Bundesliga going head-to-head Musiala up against Bellingham two terrific youngsters kind of obviously have that English connection right there Uh, what was your thoughts on Bellingham's performance yesterday as he captained the side yesterday
0: yeah don't remind English people about (laughs) what could have been Musiala and Bellingham I remember um, before the England-Germany game the images going around weren't they of, uh, of the playing together at England youth level. I mean, Bellingham is... What, what's wonderful about him is he is a, a truly English midfielder thriving in the perfect league for him in the Bundesliga. But he, he, these these midfielders weren't supposed to exist anymore. You know, it's the, hmm. the Brian Robson, the Frank Lampard, the Steven Gerrard do it all. And he hmm. does it all. You know, the stats, the performances, the, the progressive passing, the shots. I, I think he's the first... Or is, is he second in the Champions League in goal contributions. And I think we could mm. kind of really never treat again. that as first yeah. because Erling Haaland doesn't count. Um, th- th- this guy really is is doing everything and doing it at such a high level. A wonderful footballer. Uh, it's it's only going to be a matter of time, isn't it? before he, Before he leaves Dortmund. But I think what's clear is You know they are going to do everything that they can to make him into a into a better footballer and a stronger person, someone that's that's ready to shoulder responsibility. And I thought it was really notable that even with some pretty experienced players in that team, you know, some people that have been around there a long time, it was Jude Bellingham that they gave the armband to in Mm midweek. And I think, I think the only thing is that the, the weight of expectation it's coming for Bellingham. It was a smart move for him in his career to get away from. The Premier League early on, to, so that the conversation isn't maybe a weekly thing, but at some stage, and and it's already happening. You know, people in England are noticing how how special how special he is. Um, Dez has just flashed up a question here, which I, I may as well will ask as well. That Nigel was saying that Real Madrid was the perfect move for Bellingham. I I mean I would disagree. I've not seen a player I think is yeah. more Jurgen Klopp. Mm. Than uh, than Bellingham, I think that mm-hmm. that's the right step. He has to choose carefully, though. Still- who does he
2: remind you of, though? If he reminds you of a player, who does he remind mm. you of? Of any player?
0: I mean, so, so, so I've never really seen a huge amount of Robson in action. I'm a little too young. He, he is what I think of Robson as having been. Mm-hmm. It's not quite Gerrard or Lampard because I think the thing is. <laughs> I would trust him to play with either Gerald or Lampard, if you know what I mean. It's yeah. the he could you know, if I asked him to just play as a, a six, he would play as a six. It's not like I don't have to curb his positional discipline. I am struggling. Um I think that you kind of have players on a on a slightly lower, lower level. I I, I actually think because people misremember what Patrick Vieira was, I actually mm-hmm. think there's quite a mm. lot of Vieira. In Bellingham, he's not right. quite as strong in But attacking. A bit more dangerous going forward, though, than Vieira. A right? little bit, but then yeah. Vieira was always more dangerous going forward than people thought. Actually, Mike Lahouda said Paul Linz. I mean, that's quite a good, but. It is like Paul Ince, but with a bit of the sort of Gerard yes, attacking-wise. Maybe young yes. Gerard when he was sort of playing. I, I
2: liked your little connection there to Brian Robson because, mm, you know, yeah. he's, he's a yeah. player that is willing to get into a tackle. He's a player who's willing to push aggressively his teammates around him. He obviously loves to go forward and score goals. He's got quality in the box, as proven against Sevilla with that little little scoop. I mean, just brilliant finish that was as well. Um, But he can do the defensive work. He's not frightened and putting in a shift. So he's got it all, which is incredible to me, and it will Tell us that his price tag will go absolutely through the roof. And Mike, you don't think that Real Madrid have got a chance of getting him?
1: No. And JJ said, look who they have. They have young players in Camavinga and. True many, and Nigel, I know he's watching this, couldn't say that if he tried 99 million times. He, well, it's a true money, I think, is what he said. But I, I don't think he's a Carlo Ancelotti player, given what Real Madrid have in their pipeline. That midfield for the future for Madrid is going to be true many. Was it Camavinga and Fede Valverde? That is the hustle with the muscle in that midfield three. I agree with you. I think his future lies in the Premier League. I think his skill sets, that complete midfield package that is Premier League that is the modern day Premier League yeah sort but of where player. in the Premier League Mike oh where selfishly Manchester United <laughs> seriously I know we're all laughing but seriously that is the type of player that Manchester United need yeah but they isn't more than Manchester
0: United and not the sort of the type of club that G Bellingham needs
1: Ah, uh, I've got. They would ruin. They would ruin. Out, they they would
0: ruin him, I, but, but,
1: yeah, but but that is, if, if you if you get a player like that, and I think realistically, I do agree with you that Liverpool that heavy metal style. But as a United fan, and looking at the massive gap in the engine room for United long term, a player who could pick up the ball, the the best United teams have had the Brian Robsons, the Roy Keens. Yeah, you know, Michael Carrick. I and mean, then he's a little bit different of a pass master, but at different times, Michael Carrick could pick up the ball and get involved in the in the attack when he first got to Manchester United. A deep line playmaker when needed, a box to box midfielder when needed, a goal scorer when needed, and a player who can kick someone in the ass. When
2: you got to get in the Champions League for him to have any chance to go. there. JJ, you got something. Let's go.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what galls me more, whether I agree with James Benj with the Liverpool shout and being perfect for a Klopp system or having to be positive about a player who came through the ranks at Birmingham City. It's quite a conundrum <laughs> for me. But uh, no, actually, the I, I wanted to take it back to the pre-Bellingham chat. Um, it's a question for you, actually, and obviously being yeah. our resident Bundesliga expert. But... Bayern is a club where we've seen some very big name managers fail and almost become victims of player power at time, We saw it happen to Carlo Ancelotti, you know, we've seen other guys come through. It's almost like, um, you know, if the players don't respect you, which might be the case for Nagelsmann, given sort of his very, very young age, which is not, you know sort of the norm at a club like Bayern Mm -hmm. do you think that there is too much player power at Bayern Uh, you know and sometimes they're Mm. it's almost like they're dictating who the manager has to be and who they're going to be playing best for I don't think player power
2: exists anymore at Bayern Munich. I think what you're seeing is the ex-player power because if you look at the executive Mm. ranks, who they have in charge, who they have behind the scenes, um, obviously all the way up to former players from 50 years ago still involved at the football club, making decisions for the football club. You have to move on from that and Bayern have not moved on from that. They're still living in the past and they're forgetting the fact that you know the Premier League is so far ahead of the Bundesliga right now, as far as money is concerned. And obviously, ownership is different there compared to what you have in the Bundesliga. I get that. I respect that. There's also the the, the human aspect of not wanting to have uh, ownership, single entity ownership. They want it to be obviously open to supporters to have their opinions, the members voting in presidents, things like that. I love the philosophy and I love the idea and I love how it works in Germany. It just works perfectly. There are business who are making a ton of money, and I respect that. But Bayern. Munich is about winning. Bayern Munich's name, their brand is about winning. And when they don't win, these guys go absolutely nuts. So they jump the gun very quickly on making these firings. And I don't think the players have much of a say as to who comes in and who goes out. I will say this, though. I spent a bit of time there over the last probably six or seven years. And I was really amazed at how massive Bayern Munich is. And, you know, listen, I've played against Bayern Munich. And for me, you recognize who Bayern Munich are when you're playing against them. They they just act differently. They travel differently. They play differently. The superstars who come through their ranks, sensational names. It's just a brilliant football club but actually watching their system behind the scenes, what they do, I mean, how they brand their football club, how they brand, I mean, they have an office here in New York City. I mean, it's insane how big this is of a football club in South America, massive, all the way through Asia. I mean, Africa, they are everywhere trying to inspire, trying to give opportunity, trying to share the brand. They do things the right way. And I'm really impressed and obviously proud to have had a bit of a partnership with them over the years to realize how big of a machine they are. But on the pitch is where my concerns are. Too many players coming through the system right now, and they've sort of changed their philosophy. They used to have, if you remember this, they used to have a, a rule that they would only sign a striker who was proven in the Bundesliga. That rule has since gone out of desperation. Now they're just signing players that they can afford. Um, they'll try to get players who are in from the Bundesliga who have been proven, but if not, they'll bring in a Asario money and spend a ton of money on him and hope that it works out hasn't necessarily worked out for Sadio Mane, even though he has scored goals. It's not Lewandowski. You need to make sure that Bayern Munich are the best team in Germany. And right now, you'd have to say they've got the best squad in Germany, but not playing the best football in Germany. I uh, will say this, though. Some of the guys who have come into the squad who are obviously making their first debut in Klassiker would be, obviously, Mane, De Litt, Gravenberg, Masraoui, all these guys, big names, youngsters as well. We have to put that in there. This is going to be an eye-opening game from him. We're going to learn a lot about what Bayern Munich are and of course Your Dortmund because they also have a lot of youngsters and considering the injuries that they've got this is a mad game to look forward to so that was a long way to answer your question JJ but I just don't think player power at Bayern Munich is it I think it's the executives it's your Oliver Cans who have got so much to say at the club
0: go ahead James Oh, impossible to respond to that Uh, I thought that was very well that was very well but I think in the end like sometimes I know I I keep saying this to you Ian with Bayern and and obviously someone with more of a numbers bent. I think sometimes they just get a bit unlucky I think sometimes the forwards are a little bit wasteful but that's the sort of early in the season Bayern and maybe that's Kind of what they need because yeah. some too often they're like super hot at this stage of the season and then it all cools down because there's nothing to play for in the Bundesliga and it's the sort of same thing we talk about with PSG that they don't they're not testing themselves at the weekend. Um, I actually don't think it's that bad for Bayern that they're uh, they've got some catching up to do in the Bundesliga this season. Yeah. All right. A whopping
2: 342 goals have been scored in this fixture ahead of what will be the 107th Bundesliga Clássica. Um, and if you look at the goals this season, this is where it's going to be separated. Bayern Munich have already scored 23 goals from the eight games that they've played. Borussia Dortmund have only scored 11 goals, which is a big concern for me going into this matchup. Can they score the goals? Can it be Jude Bellingham who steps up that one? Let's get a quick prediction before we move on to Arsenal-Liverpool. Uh, what do you think about their classicer, Michael LaHood?
1: Who's going to win this game? And Give me a score. Nothing ain't changing for this game. Bayern Munich's going to win. If you look at Borussia Dortmund, what they do after the Champions League games, I think the squad depth or lack thereof of Dortmund, Jude Bellingham, yes, he's playing the football of his life, but the depth is going to hinder them. They haven't gotten a positive result. I think only one game they got a good result after Champions League. I think they're going to be tired. I say 3-1 Bayern.
3: JJ. JJ. I'm going to go 2-1 Bayern and I think it'll be a late winner. I can see this one being tighter than we expect and Bayern just getting it done at the end. James? I'm going to agree with Mike. uh, 3-1 Bayern.
2: Sorry, boys. I'm going for Borussia Dortmund to get the win in what? this one. It's a big game. Classica. I mean, listen, I listen, I want to see how good Bayern are. I'm betting once again against Bayern Munich. They've proven me wrong already. Um, but I will say this. There's something wrong at that football club. In big games, you'll get found out. This is a massive game for them in the Bundesliga. If Borussia Dortmund go above them in the table and Bayern end up like my, <laughs> match day nine and eighth place in the <laughs> Bundesliga, we're going to see some big moves. So maybe it's out of hope than anything else that something crazy happens in the Bundesliga. All right, let's move on to the Gunners against uh, the Reds. From- Liverpool. I mean, what a game this is to look forward to in the Premier League. Liverpool got back to winning ways, uh, beating Glasgow Rangers in the Champions League after their 3-3 draw against Brighton last week uh, top of the table can i repeat myself top of the table gunners beat spurs in the north <laughs> london derby uh james have gotta talk to you about this one i mean this is an absolute cracking game to look forward to but do the gunners need to prove to everybody out there because now you're starting to hear whispers they're a contender but they need to prove in these big games that they really are or do mean business in the premier league this year in this match
0: I think it would certainly help against Liverpool. I I, I think you can make a case that Arsenal have proven themselves against every other team in this division, but there's a specific hold that Liverpool have over them. I mean, we saw this with the the slightly odd, a little bit. It was a little. The reaction was a little bit overdone, but the slightly odd uh, hysteria that Mikel Arteta had before his team went to Anfield last season. Mm. I think the, the the difference right now, as well, is that Arsenal can can go into this game. And I think we're looking at the odds right now. They are ever so slight favourites for yeah. this game and, and they can be going into it thinking we can play our way. And so often, you know, Liverpool have cut them to ribbons. They've made silly mistakes at the back and, you know, Diego Diego Jota or Roberto Firmino have been on hand to punish them and it, it's been brutal. These are the games that I go to and I'll be at Sundays as well. It's the first one where I haven't kind of felt like I can write the piece beforehand that this is a reminder of how far Arsenal have to go. I don't think we kind of should be talking about this team as title contenders or anything like that. We all know that at some stage, City will just pull away. But I think right now, this is a great game for Arsenal to make the point that they are the second best, that if anything were to happen to City, and it won't, but that if anything were to happen, they are the team that that are best placed to catch catch them out. Because right now, Liverpool aren't quite what they were. Everyone frames it around uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, but Virgil van Dijk... It's now been eight, nine games, and it's not been the same Virgil van Dijk. That's the worry for Liverpool. And I think, as much as Arsenal kind of want to want a statement win, Liverpool just need to get back to the team they were. And I think actually, maybe playing Arsenal and and you know, another two nil win that do them the world of good. But right now, uh, it does they don't look like a team that can just do what they used to do at the Emirates.
1: Mm-hmm. I think this game is going to be decided down the spine. Are your key players who are your difference makers down the spine? Oh, Mohammed Salah plays on the right-hand side, but I look down the spine for this Arsenal team. Gabriel Jesus playing the football of his life. Thomas party. I think he's going to have a massive say in this game. He's been excellent. His partnership with Granite, Xhaka. Granite, Xhaka getting more forward in midfield. If Thomas Partey can go head-to-head with Liverpool, who changed their formation in the matchup against Rangers. They played a 4-2-3-1. Liverpool known for playing a 4-3-3. Diego Jota playing as the attacking midfielder. Thiago Alcantara playing as a box-to-box midfielder. And Jordan Henderson, the main man, the skipper, as the six. If Liverpool, if they can get that overloaded midfield around Thomas Partey, I think they will have the best chance to win. If Arsenal and Thomas Partey can stamp their seal of approval against the Reds, then Arsenal will have the best chance to win.
3: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, this one's really shaping up to be a fantastic uh, encounter and it's I mean I do think that Arsenal have the best chance that they've had in quite a long long time to sort of break that hoodoo that that Liverpool have against them I agree with with James it's not you know we spoke about it earlier in uh, in midweek you know Trent Alexander-Arnold hitting back at the critics with that fantastic free kick against Rangers but it has sort of unfairly been created this kind of narrative that it's you know basically all Alexander-Arnold's fault when that Liverpool midfield is just so so brittle compared to to what it used to be and it's just so important to the way that Klopp wants his team to play but it it, it just feels to me like Liverpool are still waiting to get going despite you know picking up in midweek Uh, and Arsenal just seem to be such a well-oiled machine at the moment sure maybe that will you know stop at some point in the next couple of months. And, you know, there might be a few a few more road bumps. But while things are, are going so well, I, I find it hard to look past Arsenal winning this game. I'm with you, JJ. And I know James has got a slight smile on his face
2: here. <laughs> but I really believe that Arteta has learned a lot from last season. And, of course, you, you have blips in a campaign. Like, you, you take Manchester United, for example, this campaign. But I really believe that a young coach like him... Obviously, he had tremendous experience before getting that job at Arsenal and um, being an assistant coach and then getting the job. You've got to learn from your own mistakes. And sometimes you've got to lose games. you got to lose big moments. Obviously, you know, the Champions League miss last year was a big disappointment for them. And I think he's learned from all of these big moments where maybe he could have made better decisions or could have handled situations better. Maybe it could, maybe could have made team selection a bit better in big moments. This will be a real test for Arteta. I'm really, really excited to see how he handles this game, the 11 he goes with. And I think we all can agree that he has this Arsenal side playing with a smile on their face. Hmm. Every single one of them are full of confidence. They all want to play for Arteta. They all can't wait for the next game. I do worry about the congested schedule, having European competition, international fixtures, and all this BS coming into it. That's where my main concern would be. But I think Arsenal now are a deep enough squad that they can rotate, they can deal with injuries that have happened already, and still put out an 11 that can compete with the best that the Premier League has to offer. At least they can score goals against the best teams. And I think that's what happens against Liverpool. I don't think Liverpool, if you look at the way they have played, even though they've drawn four games in the Prem this season, I think they will concede more than one against this Arsenal side because the confidence just seems to be flying high. And Arsenal's defense this year has been has been really good this year, James, right? Am I am I wrong there in saying that Liverpool will not find the easy scoring against this
0: Arsenal team either? That is a very good point, and one I kind of wanted to to pick up on mm-hmm. with with you guys. I mean, but the only other thing I'd want to add to what Ian was saying about that smile on the face—it's not just the eleven on the pitch and the players in the squad—and it helps that the Europe that you almost have these two squads with the Europa League as well. It's the sixty thousand in the stadium, and everyone used to take the Mick out of the Emirates Stadium, and rightly so. Mm-hmm. But I tell you right now, if you're watching this, if you're listening. If you get a chance to go to the Emirates at the moment, you won't find many better atmospheres in England. It is mm. fantastic. It is a play, It's the place to be. I can't wait for Sunday. I can't wait for <laughs> Thursday as well as we record it. But a very quick question for for everyone here: You've got a team, and you're picking your centre back for the next three seasons. Ooh. Do you pick William Saliba or do you pick Virgil Van
1: Dijk? I pick Saliba. Saliba. Yeah, you pick Saliba. He's younger. There's there's a there's a freshness there's a newness in playing in the Premier League. He's got a point to prove, and he's come off a brilliant campaign with Marseille. And he's fighting for his place with the French national team. Team start. Virgil van Dyke, Liverpool team. Wonder if there's a bit of a combination of arrogance, injury pileup, wear and tear. Saliba. <sighs> This
2: one's a tough one because I love the experience. I, I will say this, though. I'm I'm a little bit frustrated with Van Dijk, like all of you have mentioned this campaign. I, I don't like the inconsistency. I'm, I'm a little bit worried about that consistency, especially when you consider how big a year this is going to be for him. And um, Fabrizio was also um, texting about the contracts potentially being extended as well, or at least trying to extend the contracts of Saliba, Saka and Martinelli there. James, you got anything to add on that one after Fabrizio tweeted that one?
0: Yeah, I mean just very just just very quickly a lot of optimism in all three cases. I uh, I know with Saka that deal's quite it, it it's not f- for it's not finalized or anything, but everyone's in agreement about the fact that they're going to agree one and it just needs to nail down the specifics. Uh Saliba and Martinelli, not not quite a, I mean it, it's sort of not quite as close, that doesn't mean they might not get finished first, but Saka everyone's singing off the same hymn sheet, which is fantastic news for Arsenal.
2: All right, predictions, real quickly. Let's go through it. Quick whip around. Mike, you start. Oh,
1: I go 2 2. Do.
3: JJ, uh, I'm going to go with another 2 1 this time for Arsenal. Woo!
1: James, oh, do not wow. need to
3: ask? <laughs> 1 0. Oh,
2: bench. I find it hard to bet against oh, you, James. Bench, against bench, I'm actually thinking the Arsenal put three past Liverpool. I think this one's going to be oh. a cracker. I'm going for 3-2 and I'm going for a, an early cracking start to this game as well. So 3-2 yeah. win for the Arsenal in this one. All right, we're going to take a quick break. But when we return, we'll take a look at what else is happening around the rest of Europe. In the Premier League, of course, there's a new boss in charge at Leverkusen in the Bundesliga. So stay with us. Plenty more to come right after break. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And
1: so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira.
2: The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new
1: level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're
2: going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast.
1: Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome back to So It's Ian Joy alongside James Ben, Jonathan Johnson, and Michael LaHood. We are discussing a little bit of a preview about the weekend's club football action. Let's turn our attention to Serie A. I mean, there are some bangers to look forward to. We already touched upon the Milan-Juve game. Let's touch upon quickly three crackers that maybe, maybe money could be made on these games. We'll start with Udinese against Atalanta. Third versus second in Italy. I mean, what are Atalanta doing better this season? Michael, that you are witnessing compared to previous seasons before, and I'm hoping you're saying defense.
1: <laughs> well, you, in order to be consistent, it has to go from back to front. I think this is an Atalanta team that lost a couple pieces over the last couple seasons, but different players continue to step up. I think it's the goals by committee. You're no longer dependent on Muriel or Zapata to be your two goal-scoring machines. Different players can come up, and this is a unified Team Gasparini just keeps doing it. He's got a DNA and would not be surprised if because of all the mishaps and all the calamities and dramas from the usual suspects in Syria, if by the end of the season we're saying, how the heck did this team end up either getting second or... Big statement because Napoli are playing on fire, but Atalanta are in a perfect position just sitting in second right now.
3: I think what really appeals to me about this fixture coming into the weekend is how Atalanta, almost kind of like the modern Udinese, because Udinese had that fabled, uh, you know, scouting department years ago that was so ahead of the curve, bringing guys like Alexi Sanchez to, to Europe. And now Atalanta have kind of refined that approach a little bit and arguably enjoyed better success with their Champions League foray. However, it's in not being in European competition this season that I think is enabling Atalanta to perform back to something... Approaching what we have come to expect of them over the last couple of years, I think it was finally a bridge too far for them in Europe. Uh, obviously, you know some of the, the the sort of stalwarts of that team that first broke into the Champions League and then enjoyed some relative success. Uh, You know, I've now moved on. I see uh, Ilicic has returned to Slovenia, so fingers crossed he can salvage something of his career there. Uh, You know, but just it's refreshing to have Atalanta back to playing that style of football that everybody fell in love with a couple of years ago. But also, you know, great to see Udinese sort of going from being sort of like a middling team, you know, that's uh, in sort of that ring of clubs, uh, the the Potter ring of clubs with uh, Watford, to one that can genuinely go and perhaps aspire to doing something in Serie A again.
0: Beto, as well, watch out for this guy. I I've, I hardly even heard mm-hmm. of him before the start of the season. Five goals already. Um He's really talented. This the, the Udinese team, as as JJ was saying there. There's a lot of talent, but like for me, the game I'm. Going to kind of really want to keep a close eye on is, is Sassuolo against Inter because it does all Even after that win, it all kind of feels very underwhelming. It all feels quite like eh, at the San Siro, like there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, it, all that talent that came hasn't quite coalesced together. They're not scoring as many as you'd like. They're conceding more than you'd expect. And I just I don't I don't know if it's time for sort of maybe deeper change. I think teams have started to work out had to play against an Inter team that zigged a bit from Antonio Conte, but maybe needs a bigger zag. That was quite clunky, that. But I just <laughs> you, you know what you're doing and I thought Barcelona, even though they didn't win, had quite a good plan to beat Inter. I think Sassuolo as well will have time and we know they're a really strong, tough team to take on and, and they'll be a bit more rested than Inter Milan. So this is a Big, big game for for Simone and Zaghi. And on the basis that Inter aren't going to win the Champions League, they have to make sure they're in a position to be playing in it again next season. If he goes or if he doesn't win, you know, talking to to guys like uh, Francesco, it seems like he's going to really be on the brink if he doesn't win.
2: Yeah, listen, I'm excited to see what actually happens with Inzaghi in this situation, because you're right. It wasn't exactly something thrilling. I think it was more a surprise result. I mean, Barcelona had their opportunities in that game to win the game. They just didn't do it. And Inter getting massive victory. And obviously everyone sort of forgets the problems when you you have a victory, right? At least that's normally what happens. But I think to your point, I think we're all a bit underwhelmed with the fact even though they've won the game, we're still just waiting for this to happen. I think we're all, it's inevitable really at some point that there will be changes there at the football club. Doesn't look like the hierarchy at Inter are happy right now with the football that's being played, especially the way they're defending, even though they did get a shutout in that game. So that's one place above Inter in this game. They're a fun team to watch, but certainly don't score enough goals there. A difficult one to predict on this one here, um, but I think it's safe to say from all of us here, JJ, that Inzaghi is absolutely on the hot seat. This is a game that you probably should and must have to win.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and I think that's inevitable. And I think, you know, unless that performance against Barca and the result is something that can really boost them on, uh, you know, and, and, and get them playing better and more consistently... My worry for them is it was, and I think we established this with Nigel the other day, is it was just a throwback to Conte. It's proof that they could still do it and they haven't quite given up on Inzaghi, but it does seem increasingly like it's, like Inzaghi trying to get blood from a stone now. And because of the chat that we've had the last couple of weeks about how stale things have gone at Atletico Madrid, surely things are opening up at Inter, aside from the financial aspect, for somebody like Simeone to, to, to go in and uh, and write that ship. I know he's also got Lazio as an ex- club of his in Serie A as well it just I don't know to me it feels like it would be the right move uh for him to go to Italy you know we know the Argentina job is tied up with Scaloni uh, and Inter seem like they're in need of uh, in need of that uh you know Choloism which just is not present really at Atleti anymore Choloism Mm. (laughs) I just I just wonder
1: when we talk about Sevilla and the this the disgruntled nature of players. Marcelo Brazovic has been out. Romelu Lukaku out doesn't seem like he's going to come back anytime. Indefinitely out. I just wonder if the players are just over Inzaghi and if there's a bit of a coup going on behind the scenes at Inter. They 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 don't seem believable. In in that game, the difference was a Cherenoglu wonder strike to give them the win in the three points. They defended admirably. And I think for Inter to be back at their best, so much has been put, so much expectation and weight has been put on them going forward. But in Inter Milan that has been successful, they don't give much up in Syria and in European competition. That's how they made a deep run in the Europa League, was being good defensively and then leaving it on the platter for your individuals to come up with moments of magic. I think they're imbalanced going forward, and that's what's cost them. In the position they're at, if they do that, if they think that, wow, we've magically arrived, all that was a farce, the the three points against Barcelona, if they show up against this Sassuolo team who have found their goal-scoring boots, I know you said they haven't scored many goals, they scored six goals in the last two games, Ian. Mm -hmm. That's pretty good. I think they have a couple young individuals who, if you don't show up, they will punch you in the mouth. Tricky game for Inter.
2: Yeah. All right. Let's turn our attention real quickly to Fiorentina against Lazio. Lazio have surprised many this season. Fourth on the table, only one loss. They've scored 17 goals, led in only five goals there. Immobile already just absolutely flying through it. We're going to be really quickly on this one. One point from each and you and a quick prediction on a Fiorentina-Lazio game. Immobile as well, by the way, James Bench. I mean, this guy continues to score goals. Got 27 last
0: season. He's been in the 20s, I think, the last five seasons. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, a, great, he's a great striker. I've got very little to say on this game like come on you know we're at the limits of my we the out of limits of my Serie A knowledge this week if they're not playing in the Champions League cool well let's move on then let's
2: move to the Premier League where you do have a lot of knowledge <laughs> then. all right
1: uh, actually i wanted to add one thing Go. to that just very quickly yes a mobile gets i like i got a i know you do just <laughs> want to think really a bit savage keep an eye on this guy he's a baller i think he's one of the most underappreciated midfielders and he's having the season of his life that's all i got to say
2: all right, Premier League. Real quickly, we're going to touch on Chelsea against Wolves, Brighton, Spurs, and Forest Villa. We'll start with Chelsea against Wolves. Uh, James Bench, uh, obviously Wolves in particular. What's going on there with them? Chelsea big win against Milan. They'd have to be favourites going into this game. Quick prediction and overall thought on what's happening with Wolves at the
0: moment. Yeah, I mean, it's, the only surprise with Bruno Lage is that it, it took so long. To be frank, they haven't played any good football since his third game in charge. Um, he kind of defaulted to to the Wolves approach of, of keeping it tight. Uh, but then let Connor Cody go. Uh, So it was no surprise that he departed kind of from what I'm hearing that they're they're talking to Julian Lopetegui certainly would add a little bit more forward thrust to that team, but whoever's in on the bench and I would think it will be, you know, coaching staff on the bench against Chelsea. They're in for a really tough test if Chelsea play as well as they did at their best in in midweek, they look like they're starting to, to get a grasp of things under Graham Potter and, you know, I predicted Wolves to go down at the start of the season, and there's nothing I'm seeing at the moment from that that squad as a whole. They don't look like scoring. They don't necessarily look like they're going to keep a clean sheet. So for me, this has pretty comfortable Chelsea win written all over it.
1: Mike? Mm, Bench, you're going to have a bigger smile on your face. We talked about Arsenal. i talk about Spurs. Have you known a third-place team in world football who is miserable right now to watch miserable right now to talk oh, about but They're it's awful Hotspurs, They're. I, I keep the, the word of the week has been crap and I'm not even say crap. They're just woeful to watch. They're woeful. It's boring. They used to say boring, boring Arsenal. No, boring, boring Tottenham. Can it I dive in on this?
0: Okay. I have, I have this real frustration that the way we talk about Tottenham and you guys will know this, having played the game as well, but I mean, even if you played it at any level, we kind of talk about these like things that don't even result in a shot, where they ping two or three passes together on the counter, and go, oh well, if they just made one or two more passes, that was a guaranteed goal. And it's sort of like, but you're flying, you know, especially you know with Son, Richarlison, Kane, you're flying up the pitch, sprinting at, at full capacity, trying to inch these passes through defenders that are also fast moving into the stride of your forward. And I think we really underappreciate. How hard these moves are to pull off. And the fact that it's Son and Kane means they click more often than the most. Yeah. But I agree with you, Mike. I think they have been woeful in attacking terms. There's no. There's, there's, tough tough there's place to go play, though.
2: Eintracht Frankfurt and European games, though, James, they're tough places to go play. I mean, I I actually won there like three, 3
0: 1 when they went there.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that was a special performance from them, and and Frankfurt were vulnerable. Then you were also shocking in the Bundesliga. They're, you know, I think they won the last three games. Frankfurt going into this match so full of confidence. So tough place for Frank for Spurs to get a result there. And I think a draw is actually a good result. Uh, I actually tipped Frankfurt to win that game. I just thought they'd be better going forward, and they weren't. Uh, Mike, real quickly because Brighton Spurs. I mean, obviously yeah. Brighton, they you know they got a great result against Liverpool last week and they defended so well. I mean, can they get anything from against the, against the uh, Spurs side?
1: I expect him to get three points. There's so well, much not going. Yeah, big statement. And Brighton are going to back that up. They're, they're, these players for Brighton are, are delivering. They're punching way above their weight. They have a special talent in Trossard. And he showed the Premier League, showing the world why he's playing in an attacking midfield position. Remember, until Estupignan got to Brighton, Trossard was playing left wing back not even his natural position. He's a number 10, and he showed that when he gets in his natural position, that defensive solidarity with their back, was it back seven? It allows the freedom for the front three, maybe even Alexis McAllister to jump in. McAllister, that partnership between he and Caicedo, one of the best in the Premier League in the early offerings that not a lot of people are talking about. And the one thing with this Brighton team that Tottenham have to worry about, that Brighton doesn't, see they don't play Europa League. So they're going to get, Frustrated, beaten down, heavy, because Tottenham have had international competition, players that are playing for their national teams. I think this is a game the Spurs are going to go in and get battered. I expect Brighton to win. J.J.?
3: Man, you know, I'm listening to all of these problems for other clubs and I just wish that Villa had, you know, the, the, sort, the same sort of trivial <laughs> levels of these issues at the moment. Obviously, my eyes will be firmly locked on what Villa are doing uh, against Forrest. Uh, and it's it, it feels like it's a crisis game for both managers, really. Steven Gerrard, I know that form is turning slightly more in his favour, but it's just so dour watching Villa. There's really nothing to get excited about as a Villa fan. Uh, and by the sounds of it, Forrest came quite close to, to axing uh, Cooper, which I think to be honest would have probably been quite unfair given you know the the raft well a couple of rafts of changes this summer given the amount of moves that Forrest made. So this one really feels like uh, you know one that could be decisive in uh, in who is the next manager to to be moved on in the Premier League and I'm worried it'll be Villa that came off on the receiving end.
0: I mean JJ and regular listeners to our podcast will know I never miss out on an opportunity to uh, wind <laughs> up the, the boot Villa in dungeon, end up booting <laughs> um, but actually I think a word of a, a word of, of criticism more for the manager and I think actually the fans have been quite excellent and one thing that I, I always thought think looks very bad when a manager does it was when he, he turned fire on I think it was Ashley Priest from the Birmingham Mail for asking about Cam Archer uh, a time when Aston Villa don't look like they could hit a uh, a barn door with a banjo um, and he got very angry about being questioned about the young promising striker on the bench that that isn't getting a chance that to me kind of speaks to a manager that's really teetering and doesn't is is out of answers I'm surprised I thought Stephen Gerrard was a wonderful manager and would have been a great fit for that squad but um it's coming I think that departure is coming
2: very soon you know I was doing my preparation for this and uh, the the actual line that I put here was I have no idea what to ask you about Aston Villa uh they need to start (laughs) scoring goals (laughs)
3: that was the only thing I wrote for Aston Villa
2: I mean they got to start scoring goals otherwise you get no chance Uh, right you're gonna get fired
3: yeah but unfortunately you know we are just quite nondescript at the moment which is really really shocking considering the amount of quality in that squad Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Forrest
2: bottom of the table, they've scored only six goals uh, from the eight games and lucky for you, they've let in 21 goals. So maybe there's a chance for Aston Villa to get a, a goal in this game. Great stuff as always from you guys right there. We're going to go through a, a couple of really quick ones before we get James Benj out of here, off to the arsenal. Uh, Leverkusen <laughs> against Schalke, Xavi Alonso um, obviously was linked previously to the Schalke job. He decided to take the Leverkusen job. I'm incredibly happy about that because Xavi Alonso going to a massive close I mean, a massive club who are underperforming. And by the way, the squad of players that they have, is just ridiculous for them to be second bottom of the Bundesliga and to to be as poor as they have been in the Champions League. I mean, they really, video review didn't help them against Porto, but I think they've been pretty poor. They're going to have to start turning it up and Javi Alonso seems to be the right character. Certainly we'll get the respect from a lot of these players, including the youngsters. You're going to see Leverkusen turn the corner here and potentially put themselves back into a big position. They play Schalke at the weekend. So all eyes on the Bundesliga. Mike, you got anything to add about that one? Xabi Alonso going to Leverkusen, good move?
1: Yeah, I think the fact that he has the the young talent is at his disposal. Diaby, love this kid. Thought he was excellent last season. They will respect what comes out of his mouth because he's been there, done that, won it all in every single aspect of the game. Almost, and I not I don't want to put too much pressure on Javi Alonso, but when you go to certain clubs, <laughs> when you go to certain clubs, if a manager who has that stature tells you to to lock in, you're going to do it because you can't argue with what he says. And for a club the size of Leverkusen, I think this is the right appointment, given his CV. The 116th
2: Derby du Nord, Lille against Lons. Uh, Lons undefeated this season, fourth on the table, JJ. This is a cracking matchup here. I mean, we're talking a top-of-the-table clash here that potentially could have some fireworks. What we sh- What should we expect in this one?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, blood and thunder in the Northern Derby, it's always, uh, you know, uh, something that people want to tune in and watch Uh, in France. Really, really passionate sets of fans. And just, you just had to look at what was going on in Lens on Wednesday morning when I think you had about 5,000 fans turning up to see open training at the stadium. But things not quite, uh, you know, going according to plan the last couple of days for Lens. Their highly rated sporting director, Florence Gisolfi, has been pinched by Nice. Uh, You know, that was a real um, slap in the head for for Lance, who didn't see that oh, coming after nice. a fantastic win against Lyon uh, on Sunday night, on Sunday night, sorry, uh, and it really feels like I mean it's almost like being orchestrated a little bit to destabilize Lance. Lyon starting to look better under Paolo Fonseca. Jonathan David finding form again. That's something to definitely keep an eye on. But you know, if Lance can continue to remain unbeaten, they are certainly uh, you know one of the underrated sides in Europe to to watch at this moment in time.
2: Hey, JJ, we got a question from producer Dez who needs a microphone and partly wants to keep himself hidden here. Uh quick word on Tim Weha barely getting a sniff as his comment here. What's happening with Tim mm. Weha? I mean, he's kind of gone off the radar a little bit.
3: Yep, uh wise not been great. Obviously he's had injuries as well, which doesn't help. I really feel he needed to get away from Lille over the summer. Uh yeah. wasn't granted that move yeah. later on in the transfer window. Uh and honestly, um you know, I think if he does go to the World Cup with uh with the US uh at the end of the year that it will literally be on stuff he's done in the past at international level. It won't be based on what he's showing at the moment in League 1 because he, you know, he hasn't shown enough. Obviously he's not been given the chance, which yeah, is very frustrating for him. But uh you know, I think that the decision to move away and seek greater game time probably should have been taken a lot earlier. You know, when you say Derby
2: de Nord, it makes me think of the Hamburg against St. Pauli Derby. And I was fortunate enough to play for that Derby in both sides, which was absolutely madness, by the way. Lots of stories. I'm sure I'll fill you in later on. Uh, Gentlemen, as always, thank you very much for your time. James Bench, Jonathan Johnson and Michael LaHood. James Bench, before you go, you've gone to Arsenal, Boro Glimp. What are you expecting from that game real quickly? Boro Glimp, tough team,
0: by the way. Pretty Mm -hmm. good on the road in Europe. Tough team and Arsenal will be playing a much, much weaker squad. I think we might see kind of the the cavalry come on late on just to, I think Arsenal will win, but I think it will be because Gabriel Jesus or Gabriel Martinelli or someone has come on and and won the game for them. Uh, But I'm I'm more excited, I have to say, (laughs) for uh, Arsenal-Liverpool on them. I so I may as well just set up camp at the Emirates between the two games. <laughs> you might as well
2: just stay there for us, and you can come on anytime. You just get the phone, the cell phone out. We'll put you live on the show. We'll bring you as always. Bring it, uh, awesome stuff awesome stuff guys really appreciate you all as always thank you so much for what you've done this week as well Champions League's been absolutely awesome to cover enjoy it today James and enjoy the games this weekend thank you so much to everybody else out there for listening to Kegel please take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform we're available on Apple Podcasts we're available on Spotify, Stitcher and anywhere else you listen to your podcast we're also available unfortunately for Nigel Rio Coker on video so subscribe <laughs> to us on YouTube it's <laughs> at youtube.com forward slash Kegel enjoy the weekend everyone we'll see Sunday.